belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for October 15th, 2023 is called Wrestling with Rest. The speaker is Betty Wilton and the location is Central United Methodist Church Chapel in Fayetteville, Arkansas. My name is Betty Wilson, and I'm so excited that y'all are here this afternoon. And welcome to all those who are either listening on the podcast or tuning in through the live stream. If you've been with us over the past couple weeks, well, several weeks, um, you'll kind of remember that we've been taking time to follow in the Israelites' footsteps and remember who we are as a church using the known curriculum. We took time to see how God has formed us is forming us, and where we're journeying with God in the next seasons. John took time last week to talk about the importance of these seasons and how it's essential for us to submit humbly to the rhythms God has put in motion. Well, this week, we're going to look a little closer at one of those rhythms that God established at creation. We're going to talk about the glorious seventh day of creation, where God rested and how that forever shaped the people of Israel and our identity as followers today. We're going to talk about Sabbath and what it means to struggle to rest. So what is Sabbath? It's a 24-hour period where no work is done. Scholars describe it as a day of restfulness and delight, a day of orienting ourselves towards God and returning to wholeness. Now, as a disclaimer, I must admit, I am not a person who finds rest easy. Actually, I'm really not even somebody who likes to admit to needing rest at all. It There always just kind of seems like there's more to do, something to clean, an email to send, errands to be run. There's just always something more I could be doing. So it feels really funny (laughs) that I'm the one up here about to teach on Sabbath because really I'm not even good at resting for an hour, let alone 24 hours. So I must admit, I feel a little bit like a fraud, but we're going to get there. And I really just kind of considered plagiarizing this whole thing, but alas, the spirit stepped in. So this is not plagiarized. But as I've been preparing this message, reading and listening to people who seem to have this whole Sabbath thing figured out, I've been really forced to reflect on this stubbornness, this fighting of rest that is in me. And I've spent the past two weeks wrestling with this in in this internal battle, trying to understand why this is so hard for me. Why am I clinging so hard to the restlessness and hurry and busyness that consumes my life? And my hope is, is that by sharing this arduous, frustrating, painstaking, long process, and what I've learned in just these brief few weeks will help convince me, ultimately, and y'all, that one, we need Sabbath rest. Two, that we will never and will never need to earn rest. And lastly, that loving our creator God means journeying with and being transformed by a resting God. Now, I'll be honest, this message feels a little bit more like a confessional than a persuasive talk. So maybe that's what it just needs to be. Like Jesus says, the truth will set you free. So we'll get free indeed. So let's start with the text. 
This passage in Exodus comes at the very end of God giving all the instructions for the tabernacle to Moses. So we're in Exodus 31, reading from verses 12 to 17. It says, The Lord said to Moses, You yourself are to speak to the Israelites. You shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, given in order that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it's holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it shall be cut off from among the people. Six days shall work be done. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the Israelites shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It's a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. When I first read this, I was kind of shocked the consequence of not following Sabbath was death. Um, I mean, I suppose having death as a consequence should really convince, be enough to convince Israel and me to practice Sabbath, right? Well, I must admit I'm still a little bit too stubborn even now. Ridiculous, I know. But it almost feels like I'm a little toddler with the incessant, why, you know? And finally, after just continuously yelling, why, God's like, because if you don't, you'll die. Okay? And then I, of course, respond again, why? But, you know, in God's loving kindness, he persists and continued to journey with me as I researched and tried to understand a little bit more. And the verse that kept sticking with me was the last one, verse 17. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And it dawned on me, maybe for the first time, that Sabbath rest is actually woven into the fabric of God's created order. And it really made me start to wonder, why then doesn't rest come naturally for each of us? If we're created in the image of God, who rests and is refreshed by that rest, shouldn't we be able to do that more easily? Sometimes our personalities, our cultures, our families all do not in their history or their practices align with taking this Sabbath rest. For many of us, this practice wasn't modeled for us, so we never really learned how to embrace any rhythms of rest. Sometimes all we were given were these stories of people resting or told to just relax or just take a breath, take a chill pill. But it's so annoying to me when people would say that, because if you don't actually know how to slow yourself down, if you don't have the tools to do that, it kind of just feels like something might be just wrong with me, because I don't know, I, people can tell me to relax, but I'm just not relaxing. So something's, something's off. And so there was a few more things that I noticed as I looked at this verse a, a little bit more. First was when God created the world in those first six days, God said that it was good and then very good, but God never said that it was finished. All that was created was never meant to stay static. Growth, change, and movement were all part of this created order. Humans were created and tasked with stewarding and cultivating this dynamic 
world around them, not keeping it perfect. God, in this creation story, does not finally rest on the seventh day because everything was finished and perfect. And when I read this again, I and heard that God rested on the seventh day and was refreshed, I kind of just picture God enjoying and delighting in what was. I even kind of picture God going sledding down a mountain, you know, just playing and laughing and just enjoying. And Walter Brueggemann explains that this divine rest on the seventh day makes it clear that A, God is not a workaholic, that God is not anxious about the full functioning of creation, and that the well-being of creation doesn't depend on endless work. And I thought, what does this image of God delighting and enjoying creation say about how countercultural God is? And how did we get so far from modeling this? Cole Arthur Riley spent a book of her chapter in This Here Flesh talking about rest. And the book is amazing. If you haven't read it, go do that. Um, but she says, to cultivate habits of rest, we must discern what noise has found a way to penetrate our souls. Basically, to really practice this, we need to spend some time figuring out why we think we don't need to rest and what's stopping us from embracing it. So I asked myself, what's convinced me that I don't need to rest? And I didn't expect that this question to be so hard for me to answer. I think part of it is that our culture has taught me that if I just work harder, push a little further, do a little more, that I would be able to have more control and power over my life. And I believed for so long that if I really wanted to change the world around me, that I had to keep pressing in, keep fighting, keep doing whatever needed to be done. But this culture that sets productivity over people and consuming over connection is not able or willing to teach us how to come back into our wholeness, into our bodies, and find rest. Instead, it tells us that rest is reserved for those who have earned it, those who have made it. And until we reach that privileged place, society tells us that labor is the only thing we're privy to, that we need to just work harder until we get there. And Brueggemann talks about this extensively in his book, Sabbath as Resistance. And he says that this is exactly why practicing Sabbath is so urgent. That it's only through Sabbath rest that we can truly defy the elemental requirements of a commodity-propelled society that specializes in control and entertainment, bread and circuses, along with anxiety and violence. Rest is the only antidote. So this image of God resting on the seventh day and being refreshed stands in direct defiance to this narrative that we've been fed for so long. And as our passage in Exodus shows us, we're tasked to do the same. Trisha Hersey, she's an activist and theologian, explains really what's at stake here. And this one really kind of got me. But she says, this is literally life or death. It's a matter of whether or not we're going to stop and listen and slow down and reclaim our bodies. To not rest is really being violent to, toward your own body. To align yourself with the systems that says, your body doesn't belong to you. Keep working. You're simply a tool for our production. So practicing Sabbath rest is how we actually defy the ways of empire. And like I mentioned before, when I first read this Exodus passage, I thought the whole threat of death was really dramatic. 
But as I started to look a little closer and see these parallels between our culture and, um, and Egypt, the 12 steps and 12 traditions actually came to mind. A common saying from the, liter the literature that in, sometimes you hear in meetings is, we are people in a continuing and progressive illness whose ends are always the same, jails, institutions, and death. And as I thought about the way I lived my life, I saw how I lived the way I lived my life, void of rest and retreat, always kind of operating out of this stress and on the brink of exhaustion. I saw the insanity. Living without rest is unsustainable. God knows it. That's why rest is woven into the rhythm and order of creation. To live without rest is to be held in the grips of a world that tells us our identity is solely in our doing and to continue continuously and progressively get more and more sick. Over these past few weeks, I've taken time, probably more time than I have in a long time, to process and reflect on this. And I realized that for longer than I can remember, I've really just chosen to push myself harder and harder and harder. I tell myself, I'm strong enough to keep going when I'm so tired. And as I continue to be driven by this hurry, like clockwork, every three months or so, my body will just collapse. I'll get so sick that I can't even leave the bed. And I allow hurry to detach me so far from my body that I don't even see it coming. Because our bodies keep score. And the insanity is that once I feel better, the cycle starts all over again, and I just keep doing it. It's an insanity that will lead to death and fatal detachment from myself, from God, from others, from creation. And so I'm really convinced now that the only antidote is Sabbath rest. So this is point number one. We need Sabbath rest because it's the only way that we can break loose from the bondage of hurry and return to our wholeness. But the question remains, how can we actually practice Sabbath? One major frustration that Jennifer mentioned in our teaching team meeting was that if this is such a life or death practice, why is there no how-to section? Why is it so vague? It's just practice Sabbath or you'll die. You know, it's not super helpful. How are we supposed to do something that we've never seen modeled to us? And so I kind of tried to see areas of where it could be modeled. And so all through Exodus, we've seen God delivering the people from an, from, an, from an oppressive empire. And at first, it's this physical deliverance out of Egypt. But then as the story progresses, we see that God takes the time to also deliver them from the oppressive culture that's formed so much of their identity for generations. This work takes time, and it's takes forming new stories and new structures and new identities. At the beginning of the story, we see the people as slaves in Egypt. And now we see God showing them their true identities, people who are God's treasured possession and holy nation. And this new identity has to be reinforced by new structures. So instead of people being people who were, for all intents and purposes, commodities to Egypt, they are now becoming a people who labor and rest. They are people who are worthy of enjoying the fruit of their labor and delighting in it. 
And I think that this is the first step in practicing Sabbath rest, is to rediscover our true identities. Freeman explains that the Sabbath rest of God is the acknowledgement that God and God's people in the world are not commodities to be dispatched for endless production. Rather, they're to participate in an economy of neighborliness. And all of that is implicit in the reality and exhibit of divine rest. Sabbath rest is taking time to come back to our fullness, to remember who God has created us to be, and to revel in the abundance that God has created not just as individuals, but as a community. So to be a people of Sabbath is to act defiantly against a culture that wants to rob us of our wholeness. Cole Arthur Riley describes this rest as the audacity to face the demands of this world and proclaim, we will not be owned. And I realized over the past few weeks that I've largely allowed our culture to own me to own my time, to use it for its own gain, and to tell me that I'm nothing apart from my work and doing. And that was a really tough pill to swallow. But it also didn't mean that I'm broken. It doesn't mean that I'm hopeless or stuck there. Actually, I kind of experienced the opposite. The pain that came from that realization is the very thing that pushed me into the arms of my maker. And I began to remember the sweet and tender words of Jesus. And there's two versions of this passage that I want to read um, because I just love them. Then the first is from the message. So it's from Matthew 11, 28 to 30. The message version says, Jesus says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And the other version, the other is from the First Nations version, which said, Then he lifted his eyes to the horizon as if he was speaking to all the world. Come close to my side. You whose hearts are on the ground, you who are pushed down and worn out, and I will refresh you. Follow my teachings and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest from your troubled thoughts. Walk side by side with me, and I will share in your heavy load and make it light. So the first way that we cultivate a practice of Sabbath is to take real time to come to Jesus. I'm talking at least an hour. And again, I'm preaching to myself right now as well. Um, Taking at least an hour to meet Jesus in stillness, solitude, and or silence. These three practices give us the space to slow down and remember who we are and who we've been created to be. C.S. Lewis's spiritual director once said that hurry is the death of prayer. Because hurry takes us away from being present and doesn't let us be attentive to God's presence and the movement of the Spirit at all. Hurry detaches us. So intentionally and routinely taking space for stillness, solitude, or silence allows us to make space to rest in the arms of the divine. In these spaces, we let Jesus hold us and all the burdens that we feel like we're carrying. 
In these slow and quiet times, we remind ourselves that rest does not need to be earned. It's a gift that God gives us. Embracing this gift of Sabbath rest allows us to begin to understand and learn these unforced rhythms of grace that God desires for each of us. For so long, Sabbath, practicing Sabbath felt so overwhelming to me because I really did believe that rest was a reward for finishing everything that needed to be done around me. But what if Sabbath is a day where we step out of the ever-changing, moving world and take delight in what is present and what just is? What if taking in taking this time for stillness, solitude, or silence, we start to remind ourselves that I don't mean to, I don't have to perform, present, protect, withdraw. All that's asked of me is to just be. Taking that time to step away, it's also about letting go, which is definitely not my short too. It is a tangible way of humbling ourselves and saying the world does not need my constant attention and work. The world doesn't rely on me. It's an act of trust that God will take care of us even when, and especially when, we relinquish our control, power, responsibility, dependability for a day. Sabbath rest honors this process of becoming who we are and reminding us that our purpose is not ultimately in the work that we do. As people who bear this image of God, we don't work because we're trying to find our purpose as individuals. Rather, work is meant to be a byproduct of our already established identity and purpose. Those who bear the image of a creating, loving, transformative, and resting God. Now, it's important to acknowledge that taking 24 hours for Sabbath is not feasible for everyone. And the teaching team, Jennifer, asked, how can we expect this from single parents, from moms, busy families, essential workers, caregivers? How can Sabbath be accessible to those who are in constant demand? And I think the reality is that we can only do, we can only become people of Sabbath if we do this intentionally as a community. Laura brought up the importance of carrying the weight of others so that they can rest. Maybe this means offering to babysit once a week so that parents can take an evening to be still and rest. Maybe it means restructuring our schedules so that we don't, on the Sabbath, we don't need to go grocery shopping or cook or clean. I honestly don't have the answers. I think it's going to take time to creatively envision ways that we can do this together. But one thing I know for sure is that we will not do this perfectly. <laughs> there will be a lot of trial and error. But I do believe that it's not impossible. Jennifer and I both really struggle with resting and slowing down. And as we talked, we, we realized that we both feel like it's an impossible task and it's super frustrating. But as the more that we talked, I think we realized the only true way for uh, us to do this and the only way that it is possible is if that is if we do it together. It's only truly impossible if we keep trying to do it by ourselves. Because God only ever gave the command for Sabbath to a community. It was never just given to an individual. This is a for y'all 
kind of commands, not just a singular you. It's a practice that we have to come together for because we'll fail over and over if we keep trying to do it by ourselves. And now let me be clear, I don't think that that means we all need to sit in a room for 24 hours in silence and solitude. That would be creepy and weird. And it's not the point. <laughs> so there, because there are individual aspects to Sabbath, to be sure. Taking time to sit or walk outside by yourself or journal or paint or go for a bike ride, whatever that stilling practice is for you, it's important to make space for it. But the reality is that we don't live our lives in solitude. Partners, spouses, kids, animals, parents, they don't just cease to exist for 24 hours. It takes the community as a whole to create space for individual retreat. And it, Sabbath is also more than just retreat and solitude. Sabbath is also about delighting in what is. It's a time for us to enjoy our relationships with one another to rejoice in what is around us, to delight in God, and to refresh our spirits. And John Mark Comer, who's popular, you've probably heard of him in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he talks about trying to first start your practice of Sabbath and, and how to structure it. And he asks, how would you describe your perfect day? And I love this question because it really helped me see that Sabbath is a day of delight and refreshment. This question isn't about wanting more. It's not my perfect day is in Italy where I'm on a yacht and, you know, not attainable things. But it's about seeing the abundance of what is. And this question, no, I just said that. This question is about, hold on. It's like God gives us Sabbath as a way of reminding us that we weren't created just as laborers. We were created for joy and worthy of experiencing joy. And I think that this is where that image of God sledding down a mountain kind of comes in for me. It's about, because Sabbath is also about play and laughter and connection with one another. So actually, let's take a minute and silently think about this. Write down your thoughts if you want. But what would you do for your perfect day? What foods would you eat? What activities would you do? What people would you want around you? What are the things that bring you the most joy? As I did this, I found myself kind of feeling a little giddy, you know, <laughs> the excitement of this perfect day. And then at the same time, this creeping feeling of guilt kind of came back into mind. And it was so annoying. And I found myself asking me, myself, what makes me think that I can actually do this? And weekly? Like, are you kidding? Don't I know what all I would need to put down to do this? This isn't productive. And again, my, I found myself telling, my, telling myself that same lie, that I'm not worthy of rest. But what a lie indeed. I started to think back on the Israelites and how long it must have taken them to, feely, to truly feel free to rest after spending generations as slaves in Egypt, when that was the only thing that they knew, the only rhythm of life that they knew. 
And yet God walks side by side with them, continuously showing them unforced rhythms of grace. So, in an act of Sabbath-like defiance, this is what I did. I wrote down all the things that came to mind describing my perfect day. But then I rewrote them. Except this time, I prefaced each one with God would be delighted for me too. So, for instance, take a nice long hot bath with lots of bubbles and a candle lit was definitely on the list. And so I rewrote it and I said, God would be delighted for me to have a nice, long, hot bath. And I went down the whole list and rewrote every single one with that preface. And it's kind of silly, but doing it quelled so many of those invading thoughts that I was having because it reminded me that God delights in refreshing my soul. God doesn't want us to live exhausted, hurried, disconnected, insane lives. God delights in giving us life-giving rest because that is what makes us whole. I've never thought about, I've never thought that accepting rest would take so much effort (laughs) or that it would be really this hard for me. But I'm convinced that even though it's hard, God's Sabbath rest is the only thing that will save us from death. Cole Arthur Riley points out that often God, when God's talking about salvation, rest is also named. In the midst of exile, trials, and chaos, God's answer is unapologetic care for the body. In passages like Psalms 23, in the valley of the shadow of death, God makes them lie down. And she poses such a moving question. And she asks, what does it mean that in response to the terrors of the world, God would have us lie down to eat, to drink from still waters? And as I read and reread this question, I began to think about our liturgy. And each week we come together away from the terrors for just a moment. And each week we take time to gather together at this table, to eat and to drink and be refreshed. And I'll invite the worship team and communion servers up as we as we finish up here. And Brugman connects the Sabbath and communion because he says that it's the ultimate reminder that this that this table is the ultimate reminder of that the gift of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is received wholly in grace. Just as it is with Sabbath rest, we have never and were never meant to earn this gift. We receive this gift not because we've accomplished enough, achieved great things, or qualified for it. We come to this table with tired and hungry bodies because Jesus pulls out a chair and says, Come close to my side, you whose heart's are on the ground, you who are pushed down and worn out, and I will refresh you. At this table, we celebrate and remember the saving love of God by allowing the Spirit to steady us. And in God's presence, we're able to feel safe, to just be still, without becoming terrified of all the things going on outside and in ourselves, of what's just waiting for us when we leave. In this brief moment of taking the bread and the juice, we eat and drink from the still waters 
and allow God to refresh us. So come all who are weary and heavy laden. And once you receive the elements, hold on to them because we're going to take them together this afternoon. But come and come and take them. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. If you would like to give, you can go to gracechurchnwa.org forward slash give. You can find more about us online at gracechurchnwa.org. Grace and peace.